Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Thank you for being here to dive into the Word of God. Aren't you thankful that God has spoken and that we can sing that He will not fail, not because of whatever our emotional state may have been when we woke up this morning or whatever we've encountered between whenever we woke up and right now, but God won't fail because He is God. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, we're going to consider a text that is one of my favorites in all of Scripture, and if you've been a part of North Roanoke uh, since I came here, you've heard me preach this text before. I'm not going to be preaching the same sermon I preached last time. I started all over and uh, applied myself to the Word afresh, but uh, you will certainly catch some of the the same themes that, that we covered when I preached this text back in 2016 as a part of a sermon series called A, a Fresh Start. At that time, our uh, previous pastor, Daryl Krim, and I were sharing the pulpit, and uh, it was just a great blessing to, to be alongside of him during that season. And we put this sermon series together called Fresh Start. In this case, we are running through the book of Philippians, and so it's not a standalone. It's, it's, I'm trying my best to deliver it in the context of the book of Philippians. And so we'll consider, as I said, verses 12 through 16. And, and as you're turning there, I, I want to briefly sort of recap where we are. Last week we saw that knowing Jesus, that is to have a personal and unbreakable relationship with Jesus, means having a right perspective on any of our own efforts to earn or deserve the privilege of being in right standing with God. We, we can't do it. We're We can't get our way to God. Compared to the righteousness of God that is available through faith in the Lord Jesus, everything else, every other system of righteousness that we might try, Paul says it's like rubbish or like dung. Knowing King Jesus, therefore, means trusting that He and He alone can qualify us to to know God and enjoy God's presence. We know God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And if we understand that, then we're going to want to live for Jesus right now. Not just one day in glory in the future. We're going to live for Him, want to live for Him right now. Knowing Christ now, what does that mean? We saw last week, it means living in the power of His resurrection. Christ supplies resurrection power for the here and now through our union with Christ. Why why do we need resurrection power? in our life because we're going to face trials and hardships and disappointments and setbacks. And we do that with the goal, Paul told us last week, of becoming like Jesus in his death. What does it look like to become like Jesus in his death? To live for the glory of God no matter the cost and to live for the good of others. This is the goal. It's the ethos. It's the reason for living for the Christian. It's to experience the life of Christ on the inside as we pour our lives out for others. And that's where we need resurrection power. And that's where the joy of the gospel is because Jesus is with us in those things. We know God 
through faith in Christ. And Christ knows us, and we live for Him now and become more like Him now with the confident expectation that one day our King will return and raise our bodies up to dwell with Him and behold Him forevermore. So it's like we, we know Him, but man, we are really going to get to know Him. That's, that's our context and where we trailed off in verse 11 last week. But if we stop there in verse 11, we might conclude that Paul was kind of bragging on himself, right? He's just told us that he has no confidence in his flesh, but then at, by the end of verse 11, you're like, man, Paul is like a super Christian. He is really good, and that's, that's not what Paul's trying to do. The sharp contrast that he's drawing between earning our righteousness, with, which always fails, and knowing Jesus can be a bit intimidating for us. Like we read Paul, I don't know about you, but I read Paul in Philippians 3, 1 through 11, I'm like, I'm not Paul. Anybody else ever had that feeling when you read Paul? Maybe it's just me, okay. But like, man, I will never be like this guy. I will never attain to where Paul was. And that's how I feel when I get to the end of verse 11. But praise God, he keeps going, verses 12 through 16. And he clarifies for us that knowing Jesus isn't just for the apostles. It isn't just for the people who get martyred for their faith. I I pray none of us has to face that, but if we do, I pray we'll do it with endurance and with joy. But, But Paul clarifies that knowing Christ is for everyone who belongs to him by faith. He wants to encourage us to stay in the race toward the feet and the face of Jesus. And in our text this morning, he tells us this. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? I mean, would you pray with me, rather? God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. And we pray, Spirit of God, that you would draw us ever nearer to Christ and ever deeper into our pursuit of him. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want to speak to you on the pursuit of Christ from the text that we've just read If we're going to know Christ in the here and now, if we're going to know Him in this present life, the first thing Paul shows us in verse 12 through 13 is that we've got to understand that we need to grow in Christ's likeness until we die. Did y'all get that? Is that clear? we got to keep growing. We don't just come to Jesus, trust in Jesus, and stop. We come to Jesus and we grow in our knowledge of Him until we die or until Christ returns, which would be my preference, quite frankly. If Jesus wants to just come on back and give me my resurrection body without me having to die, I'm a fan. But whether he comes back or I die, my job between this breath and my last breath in this lifetime is what? It is to grow. It is to grow in godliness and in likeness. Paul begins with the words, Not that I have already obtained this. 
What's the this? He's talking about the the resurrection that he referenced in verse 11. Please understand me, he's saying. Just because I'm telling you the fundamentals of how to know Christ doesn't mean I've arrived at my destination. I've got to keep striving and seeking to know Jesus more and more, just like every other Christian. Paul finally is giving me some encouragement. He's got a ways to go, and I do too. And I suppose you do as well. Verse 12, the word this... Not that I have already obtained this, is actually not even in the text of Scripture. It's supplied by the translators to help us understand the sentence. But what is it that Paul has not obtained? Most likely, it's the resurrection, verse 11, where he becomes like Jesus in full. His aim is to become like Jesus totally, completely, and ultimately, That happens in the resurrection, but Paul has not arrived there yet in his pursuit of becoming completely like Jesus. There's more for him to learn. There's more growth in conformity to Christ for him to gain. The word obtained here can be a little bit misleading, like we are doing the action. But the word obtained here actually means to receive an object for which the initiative rests with the giver. How will we obtain the resurrection? Jesus will give us the resurrection when he returns. How will we obtain full conformity with Christ? He will make us like him in the resurrection. But in the here and now, conformity with Christ requires that we work. But we work in his power, the resurrection power he supplies in the midst of various trials. This is a very important principle for us to get this morning. I want you to think for a moment of the godliest, most Christ-like person that you know well, that's alive today. You got that person? The, the godly, you, you know them well. You know their life inside and out, and you're like, that's a Christ follower. How do you know? Is it not how they face adversity? Is it not how they persevere even in dreary times? Is it not the the gladness of the Lord, the determination to persevere in spite of whatever test is coming? Is it not that they shine the light of Christ and hold fast to Him even in dreary times and in dreary seasons and dreary days? And yet there is a sense in which the godliness of their lives, the conformity of their lives to Christ, even though, man, I look at them and, and they're ahead of me, they're still nowhere close to what they're going to be one day when they're with Jesus. And that's what Paul's getting at. Christians who are going to grow are going to have this growth mindset. They're not going to want to stagnate where they are. They want to keep growing. Those who are enjoying the knowledge of Jesus aren't comparing themselves to others to prop themselves up. Instead, they're looking to Jesus and seeking to become more like Him. And every time you look to Jesus, you go, I got more room to grow. And you know what? When we do that, we realize it's going to cost us something to grow in Christ-likeness. It always costs us. You can't become more like Christ in His death without it costing you something along the way. And yet, they realize that's where the power of Christ is at work. In those who are learning and striving, however imperfectly, to live for the glory of Jesus by dying for the good of others and especially other saints. We, like Paul, understand that though God already sees us as perfect in Jesus... We nevertheless have a way to go in our experience. 
There remains an infinite distance in the here and now between us and Christ. We've been declared perfect by God through faith, but we spend the rest of our lives becoming more like Jesus in His death. This is what Paul means when he says he's not already perfect. The word perfect can also be translated mature, as it is in verse 15. Paul's saying he's not a finished product, he's a work in progress. His salvation in Christ is secure. It cannot be taken away. But in the here and now, God's still working on Paul. And Paul's still working toward Christ. God declares us perfect in Jesus, and then he gives us the rest of our lives to fashion us and shape us into the perfection that is Christ alone. In verse 13, Paul uses the word brothers. Do you see that in the middle of verse 13? Not that I've already obtained this. Not that I'm already there. And then he, then he hits you with the brothers. In the, in the Greek, this is called evocative. It's, it's attention getting. If you can imagine you were there in Philippi and the letter was being read and you're kind of drifting off to sleep like maybe some of you are in this sermon. You're like, all right, when, he, when is he going to get fired up? When is he going to get in the pocket this morning? I haven't, I haven't found it yet, but hopefully it's going to come, all right? But he's, he, he's reading the letter. It's like, you know, I've, I'm waiting on the resurrection. I'm going to be like Christ in the resurrection. I'm not already there, yada, yada, need to grow. And then he gives them a, brothers, it's, it's, it's wake up. In case I've lost you, brothers, let me tell you something. Be sure you get this. Yes, I am assured that I will have the resurrection body and be with Christ forever, but I do not yet consider that I have made it my own. I have it, but I don't consider that I have it. This is interesting, right? So I have this confidence that I know I've got it, which he's already told us about, but when I look at my life, I don't consider that I've got it. The word consider is an accounting term. We got any accountants in here this morning? Any bean counters? If you've ever worked for an accountant, that can be interesting. I account my life in a certain way. I consider my life as still short of the goal. He makes a conscious decision to take stock of his life, not, not to spend his life tallying his spiritual achievements as a source of boasting, and instead, he's going to look to Jesus and see there's plenty of room to grow. So in one sense, if we've walked with Christ for 20 or 30 or 40 or 70 years, we can look back at ourselves. You've probably heard me say this before. You've probably said it in your own life. If you've been walking with Christ a long time, you should be able to look back and say, praise God, I'm not what I once was. That should be true. And yet, if we take the perspective of Paul, and we've been walking with Christ a, a long time, we still say, I'm looking to Christ, and in looking to Christ, I see I have a long way to go. Indeed, as we mature in Christ, have any of you experienced this? I was, I was converted at the age of seven. Seven. I'll be 46 in March. 39 years of walking with Jesus imperfectly. And I can look back and I can say, praise God for what he's done. But if I look ahead to Jesus, do you know my orientation shifts? And this is what I say. I had no clue when I was seven how much crud Jesus was going to have to cut through and expose in this rebel heart. I had no clue the wickedness within that he would have to deliver me from. 
He's used so much in my life to show me how much I need Jesus. Can anybody else say the same? Does anybody have a mouth this morning? You can say amen. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Listen, church. Sometimes when we look to look back at ourselves, we can look back with a a sense of boasting, but Paul says, I just keep looking to Jesus, and I keep trusting him to use adversity and hardship and trials to make me more like Jesus. I had no idea how he would use trials and sins and losing. I hate to lose. Does anybody else in here hate to lose? Anybody super competitive? Man, it drives me crazy to lose. And God showed me something about my heart in that that's not Christ-like. Raising young children while in seminary full-time with no grandparents to help us out on one full-time job, man, I learned a lot about following Jesus during that season. Not being the best runner or the smartest kid in the high school at Northside, I wanted to be the smartest and the fastest, and I was neither. It drove me crazy. A broken wrist when Samuel was one month old. I couldn't hold him or help out. A near-death experience on my honeymoon. Marriage itself. Man, if you watch a Hollywood movie of marriage and you think that's what marriage is, whoo boy, God help you. (laughs) Marriage is a gymnasium of sanctification. You want to be sanctified, get married. You don't think you're selfish, get married. And watch God show you how selfish you are. Being a dad. And seeing in my own kids the exact same stupid sinful tendencies that I have. And hating it in them and then going, why don't you hate it in you? Fighting sin. Seeing people I... Love, reject Jesus, and choose a life contrary to Him. Being mistreated, misunderstood, and misrepresented, and talked about, and overlooked by others, and so much more. All of these God has used to make me more like Jesus in His death. I haven't faced anything Jesus hasn't faced. And I've, I've got so much more growth to go when I look to Jesus. If the Lord allows me or you to live another 20, 30, 40, 70 years, we're going to have more opportunities to become like Jesus in his death as death draws near. With every passing year, have you noticed time gets faster? I see how small I am compared to Christ and his mission in the world as I near my last breath. And the question that's resonating in my head is, how are you going to die? Are you going to die for the glory of Christ and the good of others who are going to outlast you? Are you going to die for the good of the church? Are you going to make church all about you? Are you going to die investing? Are you going to die leveraging everything you have for Christ? Or are you just like, ah, I got Jesus and I don't have anywhere else to go and there's no growth for me to have? Man, should the Lord give me a few more decades, I pray I'm going to have a part in training the next generation of pastors who will equip the next generation of pastors to shepherd this church and plant churches in the Roanoke Valley around the world. And you know what? As they do that, they're going to do it in a way that wouldn't be exactly as I would do it. And that's going to be okay. Because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. We've got to understand, church, that we need to grow. And we've got to have ample room for Christ-likeness, for growth in Christ-likeness, 
until we die or he calls us home. And so for that reason, our lives in terms of mission, aim, and purpose are really to be defined by one thing. We've got to grow. We never outgrow our need for growth. And for that reason, there's one thing we do. Do you see that in verse 13? Brethren, I don't consider that I've made it, that I've arrived, but one thing is literally what it says. There's one thing. And here's the one thing. Verse, the second half of verse 12 and then verse 13 and 14, we got to keep running the race. We got to keep on running intently toward Christ. When hardship comes, when adversity comes, when inconvenience comes, when seasons of great come, we don't stop. We don't become complacent. We, verse 12, press on. Verse 14, we press on. It's the same word that Paul uses earlier for persecution. Now it's translated press on. When you persecute someone, I hope none of you are doing that, by the way, but when someone persecutes another, they're intense about it, right? There's a drive. The same sort of intensity is communicated here. I I press on. Why? For the purpose of laying hold of something. What does Paul want to lay hold of? Of Christ. I want to seize. I want to grasp. I want to take possession of complete conformity with Jesus. Paul says in verse 12 that Christ has already taken hold of us and he has done so. Why? Why did Jesus save you? To become like Jesus. And so Paul presses on to take hold of it. So we are sure in our standing before God because of Jesus, which means we are liberated to strive to become like him in his death. Salvation in our here and now experience is not complete until we're with Jesus in the resurrection. And between now and the resurrection, there's an eager and strenuous pursuit of Jesus and of Christ's likeness that defines the Christian life. What, am I a Christian? How do I know I'm a Christian? Am I chasing after Jesus? Do I want to become more like Jesus? Is my aim to become more like Jesus? And praise God, we don't do this in our own strength and our own power, right? Do you remember what Philippians 1.6 said? He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So the growing Christian is constantly running a race to become more like Jesus, and she sees challenges along the way as opportunities to to run toward him, not as reasons to run away. And we do all this because we live with the confidence and the assurance and and the reality that Jesus made us his own for the purpose of becoming like him. But other than running with intensity and vigor, how do we How do we run? We run hard. Press on communicates that we run hard, but how else do we run? One of the great joys in my life has been having been a runner and learned a little bit about running and now getting to kind of coach my son, Samuel, in running. And, I mean, he's 78 pounds soaking wet, all right? So he's not going to be a football player. And he's also short, so he's not going to be a basketball player. But he can run for days. But early on, when he was running, I'm sorry, son, I love you. Um, Like, the whole idea of involving your toes in your stride, like that calf raise, you see that right there? Like, the goal when you run is to go that direction, not this direction. But my son, man, he would like, this is going to be way too loud, but just boom, boom. Boom. It was like he was marching. 
And, and I'm like, son, you're going to be so much faster when you stop pounding the pavement and you get your toes lifting and projecting you down the runway, down the road, wherever it is that you're running. And, and it took a while. We had to develop muscles that I didn't even know you needed to develop to make that happen, but he, he's got there, and now he's got a really smooth stride, and he's not inefficient anymore. How do we become efficient in our running toward Jesus? How do we, how do we keep getting there and not getting sidetracked and sidelined? Look at what Paul says in verse 13, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Forgetting what lies behind. And straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting and straining. You want to have an efficient and effective run towards Christ? How do we do it? We've got to forget and keep on forgetting what lies behind. And we've got to keep on straining forward to the Christ who lies ahead. Becoming more like Jesus requires an intentional forgetfulness. Did you know that? You think about following Jesus, you think about all you got to memorize, all you got to study, everything you got to put in your brain, and yet there's some things we got to put out of our brain and out of our heart. We need less looking back at where we've been and more looking ahead to Jesus. Now, now Paul never forgot, right, that he was a sinner saved by grace. Paul would look back at his life and say, I was the chief of sinners. I am the chief of sinners. Forgetting doesn't mean losing sight of who we are and who we were apart from God's grace. Paul's personal testimony in Acts is, is filled with what he did before Jesus graciously saved him on the road to Damascus. So what does it mean that we forget? What is it that we are to forget? We keep on forgetting our own past spiritual achievements, our own past contributions, our own past performance. We, we cannot win the race toward Jesus on yesterday's effort. Let me say that again. You cannot win the race towards Jesus on yesterday's effort. Man, if, if I could win the race of a 5K on yesterday's effort or 26 years ago effort, I'd still be running 5Ks and putting medals around my neck at the end of the race. But you know what? I haven't run in a long time, and I need to, desperately, need to get in shape. It's the same in the Christian life. You can't win the race on yesterday's effort. i got to put forth the effort today and tomorrow and the next day to become more like Christ. The prize of Christ's likeness is won by those who flush the last workout and they wake up the next morning and they say, how can I improve today? Christ, how do you want to make me more like you today? We don't wear last week's worship attendance in the frigid temperatures as a badge that gets us a discount on running towards Jesus today. We don't boast in how long we've been a believer or any title that we have in the church. We don't keep records of what we've done for others and what others haven't done for us. And we don't look back to the way things always used to be. Leslie Newbigin says this, Nostalgia for the past and fear for the future are equally out of place for the Christian. We don't pursue Jesus by looking at Facebook memories. We pursue him by looking at the word today. Do you see the connection between forgetfulness and unity? Forgetfulness and unity. So much disunity comes from taking our eyes off of chasing after King Jesus today and making an idol out of something we enjoyed or started or benefited from or assumed or contributed to in the past. Now, 
We don't forget Christ in the gospel, but we do understand that Jesus died to lead us to live for him and become like him today. We keep on forgetting so we can keep on looking to Jesus so that we will strain toward him. Don't rest on last week or last year or last century. Those who have found rest in Christ will run toward Christ. They will strain for greater conformity with Him. So I want us, church, to grow in Christ's likeness in 2024. I want us to grow in knowing the power of the resurrection as we share the gospel, as we die to self for the sake of our spouse, for the sake of our church, for the sake of one another. I want us to grow in serving, to grow in joy in Jesus through change and adversity. I want us to run the race to become like Jesus in his death, living for the glory of the Father and the good of his people no matter what it takes. Run toward a glorious future. Keep straining for what lies ahead. Persevere through trials and setbacks and disappointments. And watch God make you more and more like His Son. And if we run in this way, we will soon reach the goal. And we will receive the prize. The prize, Paul calls it, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? It's the call to salvation. Many of you in this room have heard the call to salvation. You have heard the Spirit say, become my child, believe in Christ, turn from your sin, and you've, you've received that call. You've believed in Christ. But what is the goal of that call? The goal is to become like Jesus. The goal and the prize are synonymous. God saved us in Jesus to make us like Jesus, and we will reach that goal in full when we have Christ in full in the resurrection. So to grow in Christ, to become like Him, we've got to understand we never outgrow our need to grow. And we've got to keep running strenuously toward Him until we have Him in full. Jesus is the prize, and He is our ongoing pursuit. And as soon as you leave this morning, which won't be long now, I promise, But as soon as you leave this morning, what's going to happen? You're going to have all kinds of reasons for saying, man, that sermon was for that guy sitting next to me. That sermon was for that lady sitting up in front of me. Man, that guy in my Sunday school class, I wish he would have stayed and heard that message. I, I beg of you, let this sermon be God's word for you. How is God calling you? to pursue Jesus this year? How is he calling you to strive and to strain to get the real prize of life everlasting in Christ in full conformity with your Savior? You say, I got it, Pastor. And I believe that you do. But I'm going to follow the text of Scripture. And in verses 15 and 16, it's almost like Paul is saying, have you ever wished you could like get Paul's thoughts between the lines? I'm going to try to supply that for you right now between verse 14 and 15. 14, he's pretty much done, right? Keep running for the prize of the call of God, the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the prize? The prize is Jesus. He's called you in Jesus to get Jesus, to become like Jesus. Woo, let's go home. But then he adds verses 15 and 16 as almost like, I'm still not sure you're going to track with me. So what does he say in verse 15 and 16? He says this, let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, if you're tracking with me, keep tracking with me. If you're chasing after Christ, don't stop. We never graduate from a simple and humble pursuit of Jesus. If it's going well in your walk with Christ, don't take it for granted. Keep following Jesus. In verse 15, Paul again uses the word perfect or mature. The word is the same that he says in verse 12 when he says, I'm not already perfect. And then in verse 15, he says, everybody who's perfect, listen up. Do you see the the disconnect there? I'm not perfect, and now I'm addressing everybody who's perfect. So who in the world is Paul talking about? He's talking about everybody who's been declared perfect in Christ. He's talking about every true child of God, every Christian. He's using the same word to make that same point, that in his experience, he knows he's short of Christ. But in eternity, his name has been recorded in the Lamb's book of life, and he will be with Jesus forever. But for right now, we've got to keep on striving towards Christ. Literally, he says in verse 15, To think this. He doesn't even say think this way. He says, think this. Well, what am I supposed to think, Paul? Everything he just said in verse 12 through 14. Keep on thinking it. Think about forgetting the past. Think about pursuing Christ. Think about the excellence of Jesus. Keep on meditating on His greatness and His goodness and His perfection, His love, His compassion, and endeavor to pursue and chase that in your daily life. So this morning, whether you're a a brand new baby Christian, or maybe you're one of those people that, you know what, you you trusted Christ when you were young, and nobody discipled you, nobody gave you instruction in how to take the next step, how to forget, and how to strive, but something just keeps bringing you back. And you're like, I don't know what it is. Well, maybe God really saved you. And maybe you're here this morning and it's time to start straining toward Christ and to get serious about church membership and the disciplines of the Christian life. Reading the Bible, praying, sharing the gospel, having an accountability partner who you can share your trials and temptations and burdens with. Whatever it is, think in this way. Keep running toward Christ, whether you're a baby Christian or a 75-year-old believer. Keep running towards Jesus. What does that look like? a healthy forgetfulness of past spiritual accomplishments and positions and titles and awards and a constant striving to do what God has for us to do today as we grow in knowing Christ. As we grow in Christ, we're going to know Him more in all those ways, study and prayer and sharing Him and worship and service, and He uses all of these and more to help us on our journey to reach Christ. And as we run... God gives us a great promise in the second half of verse 15. Do you see it? As we pursue Jesus, individually and together, God will show us any ways that we're thinking contrary to the pursuit of Jesus. So if your desire is to pursue Jesus, and there's something that's off course in your pursuit of Jesus, then Jesus, graciously, is going to tell you about it. He may not dump it all on you all at once. Aren't you glad He doesn't dump it on you all at once? Man, if he had, when I was seven and trusted Christ, if on day three he'd have been like, here's all the ways that you are misaligned with Jesus, I'd have been in a pile of trouble. I'd have been overwhelmed. But somewhere along the journey, he's going to show you. So just keep running and trusting God. What do we do? Verse 15 literally says, until whatever you've obtained in Christ's likeness, 
keep it up. Keep marching. The ESV says, hold true. It's a military term that means to stay in line with a standard of conduct. Stick with what you know. Stick with what you've learned. Don't overcomplicate it. We know Christ. We keep knowing Christ. We know He's the prize. And unlike Lot's wife, we don't look back. But we keep running to Jesus. As He gives new opportunities to learn and to stretch and to be poured out for His glory and the good of others. And as we do this, we say, yes, Lord, and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to chase down Jesus. We don't need another gimmick. We don't need another marketing slogan or another tip or trick or even a, a new program to mobilize us to run. We've been giving, given our marching orders in the Word, and we just need to march toward the prize. So we keep looking to Him, listening for course corrections that He might give us through His Word, and obeying Him and denying self for Him, refusing to be sidelined by lesser prizes. And one day soon, we will be with our King together in the fullest sense forevermore. And when we arrive and behold Him, I imagine we will look around at one another and we will say, you know what? If we'd have known it was going to be this amazing, if our Savior was going to be this beautiful, we only wish we would have invested more. We only wish we would have taken the Word and alignment with it more seriously. We only wish that we would have gotten ourselves out of the way faster and obeyed Christ more readily. I would have shared the gospel more. I would have given more. I would have done more because He is more than I ever dreamed or asked or hoped or imagined. Do you believe that is true of Christ? In closing... I want to give you a translation of this passage that I wrote in 2009 in third semester Greek class. I researched this passage for 15 weeks. And at the culmination of those 15 weeks, this is what I wrote, translating from the Greek, using Paul's context to really give us the sense of what Paul is saying. And I just, I just want you to listen. You can follow the text from 12 to 16 in your, in your Bible if you want to, but, but just listen as we close. Paul has just said, I, I can't wait to get to the resurrection. And then he says this, Allow me to clarify something. I know I have not fully gained Christ in the manner I will when God perfects me by bringing me into complete conformity with Jesus at the resurrection. However, I so desperately want to get him and be conformed to him that I will not be deterred in running after him. And I am confident that I will gain him because he has enlisted me in the race. Brothers and sisters, I, I don't tally spiritual accomplishments considering myself to achieve, to have achieved Christ's likeness. No! There's one thing I do while forgetting past spiritual achievements and stretching out eagerly to what opportunities God has in store. I keep pressing toward the prize. The prize that will come as a result of God's call to salvation in Christ alone. The prize of Christ Himself. So for all who desire spiritual maturity, let's be undeterred, North Roanoke Baptist Church, in thinking constantly of gaining Christ. And if you think anything contrary to Him, if you'll have ears to listen, He will show you. However, 
unto whatever Christ-likeness we've already attained, march on. So allow me to ask you, North Roanoke Baptist Church, one question. What prize are you pursuing? Are you playing church games? Or are you pursuing Christ? Are you throwing your weight around? Or throwing everything you've got into decreasing so that Christ might increase? Are you running down the American dream? Or are you staying in step with the King of Kings? There's only one prize worth chasing. And His name is Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his inerrant word. I pray, God, in the weeks to come, you would give us as a congregation the will to follow and obey it. Lord, that we would chase down Jesus with everything we've got in our daily lives, in our lives together as believers, and that Christ would be glorified, and that one day soon we would obtain the prize because you have taken hold of us in the resurrection, and we would say, man, Lord Jesus, this is greater than anything I ever hoped, dreamed, asked, or imagined. And God, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, doesn't have life in you, Lord, I pray today they would hear your call, the upward call of God in Christ to salvation. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Wherever you are, however God is leading, you want to become a part of a church that wants to prize Christ and pursue Christ, we'd invite you to come. You don't know Jesus. You don't have this salvation. God is calling. Answer the call. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.